Well, welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on our show, we've got part two of our interview with Tom and Don Jordy. Uh, if you listened last week, Tom and Don are uh, from South Africa and are ETC parent trainers uh, out in that area of the world. And uh, they shared with us their story last week of uh, becoming an adoptive family, getting connected to ETC. Tom told the story of breaking his ankle on an ETC or on a uh, social distancing sticker in the school he's working in, which is hilarious. And you should definitely go back and listen to that. Uh, and this episode, they get into a little bit more of the dynamics of what it's like being a transracial adoptive family in South Africa. Uh, I've been hinting for a minute that we've got a series coming up on uh, transracial adoption that will start in November. Uh, until then, uh, we do want to share with you their stories from today. Uh, this is part two of Tom and Don Jordy uh, talking about the end of apartheid and uh, their journey as a transracial adoptive family in South Africa. So let's turn um, to a lighter topic and talk about race for a moment. Um, One of the things that we talked about last summer during the training is, uh, Tom, you mentioned that there was, um, there was some work going on in schools in South Africa about, you know, you guys are about Ooh, my, my history is off here, but about 40, 50 years removed from apartheid in South Africa being, being a, a, a way of life. And so you mentioned being a part of some work that was, that was going on in schools with racial reconciliation work. Would you mind kind of giving us the, the backdrop of that and talking about uh, that, those initiatives that you were a part of? Yeah. So I think South Africa is, is a very unique with like when I compare it to the States and here, our majorities are flipped, you know, and yeah. it's like, it, I always look at it. When you look at America's history, you have a majority in many ways, oppressing a minority. And you can kind of get that because you have numbers game, you know, the numbers work. But in South Africa, you had this very small minority doing that to majority. And then how did that play out? And then how did that affect gen, generation after generation? And how did that, how did that trauma affect them? And then, you know, you start to get into the, the epigenetics of that and, you know, how does that play out with the kids of the kids of the kids? And, you know, we, we, we sit here today, uh, 26 years into democracy, and still many people are saying, you know what, it's 26 years on. Why can't people just be friends, get over it? But there's such a deep layer, there's such a deep hurt, and and you actually need to get into it. And you, we, I was at a, a workshop today in, on transformation in schools and that, and just this idea of becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's a work that South Africans, uh, especially white South Africans need, need to, to come to, to terms with, because I think there's a, there's a huge narrative of let's just, let's just forgive and forget and move on. And, you know, it's, it was the past and you guys are in power now and all the rest of it. But, and I'm not a racist, you know, I've got black friends and, you know, my neighbor's a black person and that sort of disqualifies me from being a racist and, you know, nonsense like that. And yeah. the reality is it's, it's, it's a guy put it the other day. It was very nice because you've got racism, which is, you know, I think I'm better than you. And then you've got those prejudices that can be implicit and, and more underlining, but then you get the institutional racism that's still there. And so even if I sit there and go, I'm not a racist, you've still benefited in many ways from a system 
that sees you as more important, more valuable, even if nobody will overtly say that. Um, and you've got generations of people that that will still function that way. To give you an example, there was a chap on the radio the other day. He was at the bank with his mom. He was an elderly black lady. And she moved out of her queue in the bank to, to give way to a white lady in the bank to move in front of her because she just did it instinctively. And yeah. she didn't think anything of it. And the son's looking at this in a new generation going, what are you doing? She says, no, no, I'm, I'm letting her go forward. But now you've got this entrenched mindset. So it's not just overt racism, this entrenched belief in some people that they themselves don't even see their own you know, no value because of what has happened to them. So you've yeah. got that, and then that will filter down to the kids. And then you've got, you've got schools. And I've been mainly dealing with, with uh with, with private schools, more, more well-to-do families and that. But one of the, the big things, is, I mean, our kids' school is, I think, about 75% children of color. And okay. then only, I think it's 25% white kids, maybe 20, 20% white kids. So it's very demographically correct. Yeah. Now, you've got that wonderful mix. So when you go to school, you're surrounded by kids who are of certain color. You leave the school, you're surrounded by the same sort of percentage of, of, of people, same sort of color, that's fine. But your teachers are, are white people. The people leaving the school are white people. Um, and so you've got this situation where whilst you can believe that things are fine, you've got entrenched beliefs that you're not going to deal with because you, you, you kind of think you've got the get-out-of-jail-free card because look at us. Um, yeah. So the idea was the, the, there's a, a school body in, 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 in the country that, that put together a series of workshops for principals. And, and then I took that and then added to it to basically go to, to educators and that and run them through a process of understanding, you know, terminology definitions, implicit biases and prejudices, understanding sort of you know, the privilege and, and how it applies to them and, and basically giving them a space to try and grapple with this idea that even though they may not be racist, they are definitely things that have uh, permeated who they are. And they've lived in a society that has uh, given them a benefit for nothing else other than the color of their skin. Yeah. And that they need to work with it. And then I'm going to educate black kids. How does that work? And then a black kid is in the classroom and he's looking up at the teacher and the leadership of the school and all they see are white people so you, it, it needs to be a discussion in schools, you know, in terms of what we've got 11 national languages in South Africa. So looking at, you know, you know what, what are the important languages? Why are those languages important? What is, the, what is the history we're teaching in school? Are we teaching European history or are we teaching South African history? Are we, who are we making look good in history? And, you know, are, have we changed history from, you know, from when people were taught during apartheid and, and, and that sort of thing? So. Definitely. I mean, Nelson Mandela was, was famous for saying that education was, was, was the tool to, to move the country forward, essentially. So you've got a captured audience who are coming from home who you're yeah. able to mold and deal with. So you need to make sure that the people who are molding them and dealing with them aren't bringing those biases and, and, and prejudices, even implicitly, even unintentionally to those kids. And or maybe at the very least sort of providing an environment where they can talk about it, you know. Um, and it's interesting because you, you get pushback. Uh, white people don't like to be called privileged, um, especially in a South African context. But, you know, a, a, an example was um, 
one of the, the the teachers in one of one of the workshops said, you know, don't tell me I'm privileged. My parents worked very hard, and we sort of connect that privilege means that you never worked a day in your life. Right, which doesn't make sense, but that's where we sort of get offended with. And yeah. she said, no, her parents would sit on the side of the road and they'd sell stuff so that you could go to university. But the kicker was they were allowed to sit on the side of the road and sell stuff, whereas the black wow. parents weren't even allowed to sit on the side of the road after a certain time because they would have been arrested. You know, and things like we have things called black tax, which I get out of, out of get a university and I get a job and I have a nice life. Black folk get out of university and they've still got families they need to support and the aunts and the uncles and the family members that put them into, into university now are able to rely on them. So it's not just I get a degree and now I've moved out of high school and I get a good job. They've got this generational weight that's still pulling them down. Um, so it's, it's layered and, and it's, it's, it's quite difficult to get to the root of it and people hate being uncomfortable yeah. because it is a very uncomfortable topic. Because then we'll also start associating. We had a thing last week. There was a, a retailer that had an advert um, talking about hair care products. And the hair care products were, it talked about a frail, dry, like damaged. Dry, so dry, of, dull hair. And there was a picture of a black lady's hair. And then normal hair, they had a picture of a white lady's hair. Oh, God. And yeah. you, you sit there going, I understand that you perhaps weren't intentional with this. But 26 years down the line, could we not be a little bit you know, we actually actually have to be more intentional. We can't rely on this. I didn't intend to do it because intention versus impact are very different. You know, I could yeah. say something and not mean it, but it still hurts you. I can't rely on the fact that I didn't mean to hurt you. It still hurts you. That's right. So, so when stuff like that happens, there's various political parties that take those opportunities and perhaps I think some stores were stoned and burned and that sort of thing. So then what people do is they conflate the two and go, no, but you see the two are the same thing. And the reality is they're not. One side of the coin is we don't appreciate what has happened in the past, and we also don't do enough work in general to move ourselves beyond the past or the deep yeah. work inside of ourselves that we perhaps don't even realize. Um, and the other side is, is another thing entirely. I mean, my son, I mean, two short stories just to give you context. I was at a, a bike expo a number of years ago, and my youngest son, uh, who's, who's a, a little brown boy, was messing with me, pulled my cell phone out of my pocket. And the guy in front of me says, you see, it's in their DNA. Oh, and, I, oh. and I sat there. It was my first incidence of racism, and my brain froze. And this guy thought it was a joke. He wasn't being intentionally mean. But the reality was, had I been in a different mindset, or had I been a black dad who had been used to being treated rubbish for many, many years and, 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 and been in that sort of environment, I would have leapt on him. Oh, and I sat yeah. there. Your brain sort of short circuits for five minutes and then the, the moment's gone. Yeah. And then the same boy this December was walking out of a, a shop with his new Lego toy that he got for Christmas under his shirt because he didn't want it to get wet. And some guys outside said, hey, did you steal that? Oh. And they didn't say it to his white brother. And those are little things that even though they didn't mean it, in, in some areas it's okay to make those comments and we need to get to a point where we educate ourselves to the level of, it's not okay. There's a reason why we say it to one and not the other. Yeah. And at that particular point, I actually saw my son and actually went back to them and actually engaged with them, which was good because you could also see it. So yeah. I mean, this is you know, a journey of eight years past the first one. Yeah. But it's, and that sort of thing in the school setting is actually to go bring the uncomfortable conversation and just place it straight on the table and go, right, we're going to be uncomfortable and we're going to get used to being uncomfortable until we get comfortable with it. 
because we need to, because there's too much inequality, there's too many people suffering, and there's, there's too many people going, ah, but it's 26 years ago, and it's over, and, you know, we need, we need to become more intentional with fixing our own stuff and not relying on the excuse of, I didn't mean to do it, because it's, it's there, it's permeated everything. Um, hey, yeah. tell, me, tell me just as parents... Um, what that journey has been for you, as as you have said, we've got you've got your wife and you've got brown kiddos. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me, just from a parenting standpoint, just with the transracial journey that y'all have been on. Yeah, um, I, I actually someone someone was saying i think it was uh, i don't know who it was anyway it doesn't matter who it was but um i realized that if we hadn't adopted we could be in a very different situation right now with the way we view racism and you know just the whole thing that's going on um yeah. and someone actually pointed that out like are people doing this work when they haven't adopted when your family isn't multiracial, yeah. you know, are you doing the work? And I really had to question, would I be doing the work if my family didn't look like this? And quite possibly I wouldn't, which, you know, is, you know, to my shame. Well, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it just, it's, it's shown me that, you know, we have had to do a lot of deep work. Um, yeah. For me, one one incident that I had, well, I have had since, but, you know, obviously I've got two little black daughters and I have to go to the hair salon with them. And, you know, the first time I walked into a hair salon, I realized that I had never been in a room where I was the only white person in the room. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just, it, it was it was a shocking realization for me mm. that, I live in a country where, like we said, 80% people of color, and yet I've never been in a room where I've been the only white person. Um, and how many black people deal, you know, deal with that day in and day out? They're, they're used right. to being uncomfortable. They're used yeah. to being in a room where you're the only black person. And, you know, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's things like that that have helped us grow, yeah. that it just helped us see, oh my, opened our eyes, like, oh my goodness, you know, we've just lived in such a sheltered, blanket world. Yeah. Um, and it is bizarre because of our demographics. We shouldn't be able to hide behind it, but our suburbs are, are, are like a dreamland. Um, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, the first step to action is awareness. And like Dawn's saying, we, I took, took my son to an ethnic salon just to give him a cool hairstyle, you know, because, you know, I you know, had, a, had a, a, a thought that the, the white dude can't cut black hair and whatever. And, <laughs> and, and uh, I walk in there and I'm the only white guy there. And, um, and it, felt, it felt uncomfortable at first. And I sat there going, this is what people must feel every single day going to the supermarket. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. And the people were so friendly, so kind, so accommodating. And I was like, and the first time I had experienced that was when I was in my 30s. And you're just like, and I actually said to the guy, I said, do you cut white guys, white, pe- white kids' hair? And the guy looked at me like, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you know when you ask this question, right. like, I know I'm going to sound stupid, but <laughs> I've got to ask it. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. But but it is. It, it's it's weird. You you're sitting and you know every single teller at the shop is a black person. Um, you know every person who takes a taxi is a black person. Our kids get to the point where they ask, why do all the brown people walk on the road? Why do all the white people drive in cars? Why do all the brown people go in taxis? Why all why, why all brown people poor? And because it's it's a it's a weird reality because of apartheid. You had the separate development, and it hasn't really changed. You had we're going to put you guys here, and we're going to live here, and we're going to be happy separate. We're not going to give you any services or anything, but we'll, you know we'll be okay, and you can come and serve us, and then we'll kick you out, but we'll be okay. You know, and now we've gotten past that. You still have this structure in towns and stuff where you've got people having to take taxis from townships far away to come to uh, white suburbs or something like that, and it's, it's, it's completely removed from most people's reality. So unless you actually do the work, or unless you've got some particular passion or desire that's urging you forward, um, there isn't you know, much that I would think outside of, say, a school situation that puts it on your yeah. radar. I mean, I, we've got a transformation and diversity committee at, 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 at our kids' school. And on that committee, I think there's about 13 people, um, two white women, one white guy, the rest are all black parents, and all of the white people are adoptive parents. So when the call went out for white parents to be part of, part of a diversity committee, people weren't lining up at the door. So there's yeah. still, I believe, an, ap- an appetite that is lacking for people to engage with it and go, you know what, this is actually a problem. Um, and a lot of people want to fob it off and pretend it's not there. Um, mm. But, I mean, raising it, I mean, I mean little thing, we had the, the one day our youngest son had a massive tantrum at the shops. And uh, we, you know, obviously on those days we parked like a few hundred kilometers away from, you know, the, the grocery store. And... <laughs> we couldn't pick him up and walk out the shops because we weren't quite sure what people were going to think because it's not, it's not normal. Normal right word, but it's not something that you see a lot of. Um, it's getting better, but not something you see a lot of everyday mixed-race families. So the concern is if you're walking out to the screaming black child, people are going to stop you. And we've had friends actually who stopped leaving the shops, you know, who've adopted and said, whose kids are these? And they have to like show them on a phone, family photos and stuff. Those are funny little realities because, you know, it's getting better. It's getting uh, more normal, if you will, but you still get the looks. In some places in South Africa, people will literally twist their heads of watching you as you walk past. Mm. (laughs) So it's like, I mean, I quite, I mean, you can have fun with it sometimes. A lady that says, no, um, is she yours? And, you can like, kind of like, um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm borrowing you for the day. Or, uh, <laughs> right, right. right. People yeah. say interesting questions, you know, it's yeah. like, where's your oh, son? Yeah. Um, I think but, also another thing that we've had to be quite intentional about is also finding professionals around us who are yes. black. Yes. Um, doctors, dentists, um, teachers. Um, our, our daughter had a black swimming teacher a few years ago and we just were – you know, we we, we, saw, we, we walked into the swimming teacher. school and we were looking at the different, they were like for sort of different pockets of teachers. There was one black teacher in the room and we were like, we right. want her, please. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, so whereas I think a lot of people um, are still, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't even, it's terrible to even say it, but I think a lot of people are still of that mentality where they're going to choose the white professional. Yeah. Um, 
Look, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of implicit biases that go, yeah. go across race. So there's there's yeah. actually, there's actually situations where sometimes black families are going, "I want the white teacher," mm. because in in some cultures there's there's perhaps a belief that you know, well, they were English, so they went to an English school. When they went to university, they could understand things better because it's all in English. We're not going to yeah. teach people in their in their mother tongue. So they would have got a better education, essentially. So I want that person, and so that also does permeate it a bit, you know. So, so it's it's yeah. it's layered, you know, and it's mm. it's not just a simple go to school. Hey guys, don't just not be not not racist. You have to be anti-racist and sort of close your book and call it the end of the day. It's a conversation that has to be ongoing. It's it's about calling people out. It's about when somebody says something that's inappropriate. Having those those uncomfortable conversations, yeah. um, you know, um, but but it's been cool. It really has. It also it it aligns us in a space in the country where where we are now having to raise black kids. You know, right. I have to understand that when my son, who's sixteen, who's white, runs down the road, he will be viewed differently than my black son who runs down the road. Yeah, and that's a problem in my world. So what am I going to do? to make it so that that is better for him. And if our family wasn't mixed race, like Dawn said, we probably, it wouldn't be on our radars as, as much. Yeah. So, so everyone in South Africa should be adopting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I love that. And I think there's so much like rich wisdom, which I'll just shared in, in seeking out uh, professionals of color and seeking out um, teachers and environments where you're going to be able to be um, where, the, where the ratio is flipped and your kids are seeing you being the minority in, um, in, a, in a space publicly is, is huge, I think. Um, I wonder if, you know, for 2020 in the U.S., there's been this uh, another surge of conversation around um, racial disparity and, and inequity and all of that um, and injustice. And I, I wonder how that, has, how that has looked or has that affected you guys in South Africa, has it, has it spurred new conversations or how is it viewed um, from your point of view over there? I think social media has made everything so much more accessible um, yeah. in good ways and, and bad ways. Yeah. Um, obviously, all, all, all your news, um, George Floyd going forward, um, we've obviously got all of those news and obviously, you also run you run the risk of trying to understand. Well, is is that all the story, or because I also know that some right. some some news, uh, uh, what do you call them? Um, broadcasters or have different political affiliations and stuff. So right. we wouldn't quite understand that. But the the general context of there's there's a disparity, and what we thought we'd sort of navigated through, perhaps we haven't. As, as well as we had. So um, sometimes we, we perhaps don't know the, the whole truth, but it certainly does allow us to spark more conversations, to ask more questions. I think what is sad, though, in a South African context, like if you look at the, the, the African-American people who have uh, been in the news in the last couple of months who have, have died in, in, in various situations, one of the things that we have to hold ourselves accountable as South Africans is that there were black South Africans who were also killed in similar situations by people who should have looked after them, whether it be the army or the, the police force and stuff. 
but we sometimes get on the bandwagon and go, look in America, look at, look what's going on there, look at all the riots and stuff. And the reality is, yes, it's happening in different parts of the world. And I think sometimes we need to not just look at people and say, hey, look what they're doing, but perhaps sometimes we need to say, we need to do some of that and actually stand up and, you know, not just use your guys' example, but actually, you know, make some of our own. And I think that was some of the some of the conversations that were happening here was, hey, everybody's talking about these people in the States, but started to name all these 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 black men, these um, uh, black women and with gender-based violence and that sort of thing that haven't become as big uh, news stories because they're not on CNN or, or, or whatever they like. And But that's on us. That's on... That's on us as a society and going, actually, hold on a second. Maybe we need to put our stuff on the radar like other countries put stuff on the radar and have have more conversations. You might not get the answer today, but we certainly need to discuss our own stuff that, that's happening and not just constantly. I, I think also what I noticed was there were also a lot of people that were saying, um, oh, this is just an American issue. You should all stop talking about a lot of South Africans like all over Facebook. And Interesting. This is not our issue. Stop spreading American stuff. Um, and and then people coming alongside and saying, Excuse wait a minute, that, this is a, you know, this racism issue is, Step out your bubble you know, for a across second, the board. I mean, I, it was amazing. I saw stuff from the UK, like you were saying. I mean, it honestly yeah. brought things up all over the world. Yeah. Um, I think so, it's a human it's a human rights issue. It's yeah. whether it's America, yeah. Belgium, Germany, South Africa, England, we've got a terrible track record of one group of people, whatever they might look like, treating other groups of people badly. Yes. And in some situations it might be one color and another color, in some situations it might be one culture, another culture. But the reality is human beings don't have the best track record of valuing people who are slightly different than themselves. And if nothing else this highlights that. That is good. And this has been awesome, guys. This has been so great. Thank you so much for joining us today and uh, and talking through this. Um, lastly, I think one thing that would be great um, to, to wrap up with is um, you guys had your own podcast for a time. You have, I guess, your, your first season, we'll say, right? Your first season of your show. Um, <laughs> season one. Are we supposed to be doing seasons? We're actually supposed to be doing it this evening, but we're doing yours instead. So. Th- thank you so much for your sacrifice. So I appreciate welcome. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the things that was, that was great was, that, was hearing you guys tell your story um, of, of both how you've, how you've met, but just kind of your parenting journey and all that. And so um, I wonder if you want to talk about uh, maybe what your experience was recording the podcast and did it, did it bring anything up between the two of you that, um, you know, were new discoveries that you would want to share um, or that, uh, you know, what, what were your takeaways from, from the show? And, and, and then you tell us where we can find it. Cool. Yeah. You go. Okay, <laughs> so, so it all started in lockdown because. Oh, the, hold on. I'll go. Yes. My idea. <laughs> Own it, love. Own it. I'm I'm so owning this. Um, actually, yeah, it it was so it was funny how it started because I I don't really like to be the talker. If you've noticed, Tom's the talker. <laughs> he likes to talk. <laughs> um, but I yeah, a few weeks before lockdown, started thinking about this idea, and I just thought there's so much that we love to talk about together. I mean, just I'm being. Just even falling asleep is like a half hour process because we right. just feel like there's so much to 
<laughs> no, I can relate. Um, I can relate. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, we could we could actually put our ideas out there. And um, it was just an idea. And I just thought, oh, it'll probably happen in about a year or, you know. And then lockdown hits and we thought, you know what? Why wait? You can't go on dates. <laughs> right. that, was, that became our date night. Yeah, we can't leave the house. Let's, let's have a conversation recording. So we just right. thought, you know what? How many people out there would love to just sit and have coffee with us? I would love to sit and have coffee <laughs> So that was kind of the idea. Yeah. Let's just sit and have a cup of coffee. We'll chat, have a date night. And we're massive Friends fans. So if you look at it, it's I the did one, that, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So... so <laughs> One of, one of our things is we, we, we try to incorporate the life of friends in our lives every day. And when we catch ourselves having a friendism and a quote from the day, we just, we just feel that we are super special. Um, <laughs> so, no one else understands no, it. But. but we're cool. So, yeah, so it's, it's called The Grafted Family. And it's, it's essentially conversations about um, marriage, family, and, and everything in between and some of the challenges we've had and the journeys we've had. Um, you know, this year has been wonderful, but at the same time, brought a lot of stuff to the surface that we've had to deal with. Um, but it's been great because we've been placed in a position where we, we could actually perhaps take the time to deal with it. So that's been cool. So yeah. it's a grafted family. It's on Podbean. It's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, I think, as well. Awesome. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll link it in the in the show notes when we put awesome. this out, so people can find it and. And listen through. I, I enjoyed it. Um, so thanks, JD. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, I'm gonna get a microphone, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get a cool voiceover like you. Actually, I, I was looking at that. Yeah, we need that. Yeah, we can talk. We yeah, I think we can we can figure out you know having having the same setup here. Maybe I think that's that's our next move is to have a a date night via via Zoom this way, and then um, and just record the conversation for everybody here. So um, that'd be great. So. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us. Um, we will talk to you hopefully very soon. Yeah, I want let me let me just at the end just say, guys, we appreciate you guys so much. I mean, the, yeah. the word that came up five times, I kept I kept marking it. I kept marking it was investing and intentional of yeah. and just that's been your life. And I think um just uh yeah, just appreciative for what you're doing in South Africa and just your investment in the school, investment in your family, investment in your marriage, uh just how you're being intentional around race, uh intentional about investing your life in others and the next generation. And so we are we are appreciative and grateful for you guys. Um grateful we got to hang out via Zoom. Somehow we got to get to South Africa. Somehow we gotta get down here. I want to come back to Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome anytime. We'll, we'll have you. And maybe maybe next time you come, we'll, we'll find a truck in the Stetson and we'll take you out uh, to... Now, cornfields are a little bit further. Don't dangle the dream and then not, not, not sort of pull through. Eh? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. I'm, I mean it. I have a friend with a truck right now. I will, I will call him. I'll get it parked in the driveway now and it'll be waiting. <laughs> That's oh, great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you all so much. Thank you so much. Yes.
Well, that'll do it for our conversation with Tom and Don Jordy. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, they are two of our favorite people on earth. And so to learn more about them or to follow them uh, to get more content from Tom and Don, you can listen to their podcast below, the Grafted Family Podcast, uh, as well as their blog. You can read that. Uh, and you should totally make time for both of those things. Um, we have been mentioning we've got a, a series on transsexual adoptive um, families coming, and that is true. They're coming in November, so we are going to air those um, episodes in November. We have had a ton of uh, fun. Uh, it's been really encouraging recording those so far. We got some great content um, to shoot your way in November. Uh, we also have a series coming up the next few weeks on sex and how to talk to your kids about sex. Um, it is one of the hardest conversations as a parent to have sometimes, um, but uh, we've got somebody on who, uh, a special guest that we cannot wait to introduce to you, um, who is going to uh, walk you through everything you need to know about having that conversation. It is practical. It's encouraging. It's going to be great. So uh, stay tuned in the, in the coming weeks um, for that. Stay tuned in November for the Transracial Adoptive Family Series. And uh, for Tom and Don Jordy, for Mo Ottinger, for myself, for my oldest son who's in the room while I'm recording this. You want to say bye? Bye. <laughs> And all of us at ETC, thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope to see you next week on the ETC podcast, uh, which is edited by Kyle Wright. It's engineered and mixed by Kyle Wright also. And we've got music coming to you each and every week from the homie Tad Jewett. So thank you to them. We will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast. <laughs>